From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. We talk faith, family, and fellowship on Tuesdays. If you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 205 2712985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email, open line at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky. And Jeff Burson, magnificent person, handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching on YouTube and Facebook Live, Father Wade is not doing the latest dance craze. It's uh, it, the the all of the confreres at the Fathers of Mercy General at House in Auburn, Kentucky, must be on the internet right now. And uh, <laughs> Father Wade is is his video is crawling a little bit, but we have a good audio <laughs> with Father Wade, who is our host every single Tuesday. How in the world are you? I'm doing great, Jack. Getting ready to head to Cordialine, Idaho, with Dr. Ray Gurendi to give a, a retreat there to a group of 150 plus men. The Inland Northwest Catholic Men's Retreat held every year, and it's this uh, coming weekend, uh, October 14th, 15th, and 16th. And so I got word today that there's still 50 spots open. And so uh, we want to give a shout-out to men anywhere in the United States and even Canada who might want to come to this retreat to go to inwmensretreat.org. Again, inwmensretreat.org. It's the Inland Northwest Catholic Men's Retreat. Uh, I will be there as the spiritual retreat master, and Dr. Ray Gurindi will be there as the lay retreat master, and we're going to tag team there together. Uh, so far, men have signed up, Jack, from Washington, Idaho, Montana, Oregon, and even Canada. How about that, huh? Uh, some drive from six to eight hours away uh, to get to this every year annually. Some of them are very faithful to it. Uh, it's a wonderful retreat in a beautiful setting. Uh, in Cordialine there, Idaho. All the information is, again, at, again at inwmensretreat.org uh, this coming weekend, the 14th, 15th, and 16th, which leads me into my springboard topic, Jack, about the importance of making an annual spiritual retreat. And this, uh, whether or not one be single, married, or a consecrated priest, brother or sister, doc, uh, doctor, farmer, lawyer, doesn't make any, any difference. Active, contemplative, diocesan pr- uh, priest, uh, religious order priest, it doesn't matter. Uh, the importance of making an annual spiritual retreat. You know, we read in Mark 6, verse 31, and he said to them, "'Come away by yourselves to a deserted place 
and rest a while. Words from our Lord himself, huh? And St. Jose Maria Escriba from his famous work, The Furrow, number 177, the founder of Opus Dei, he says, days on retreat, recollection in order to know God, to know yourself, and thus to make progress in the spiritual life. A necessary time for discovering where and how you should change your life. What should I do? What should I avoid? Let your retreat help you answer these questions. Huh? So widely neglected in our own day and age, Jack, but of great importance for growth in the spiritual life and for the ordering of one's temporal or secular life even, is the occasional making of a spiritual retreat, say annually. Uh, this is true for everyone, regardless of their vocation or state in life, again, whether single, married, or widowed, or a consecrated religious, active or contemplative, diocesan or religious order. Uh, as noted by Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, writing as Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, he says, quote, without doubt, a Christian needs certain periods of retreat in solitude to be recollected and in God's presence to rediscover his path. Uh, that's from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, a letter to the bishops of the Catholic Church on some aspects of Christian meditation from October 15, 1989, uh, the feast day of St. Teresa of Avila, the great spiritual master and Carmelite mystic. So it is then that a time of spiritual retreat refreshes the whole person, right? Soul, body, mind, and spirit. It provides time for con con uh, contemplative prayer or contemplation and prayer, in short, it's a time for a friendly intercourse and frequent solitary conversation with him who, as we know, loves us. That's quoting St. Teresa of Avila from her life, chapter 8. A retreat involves a withdrawal for a period of time from one's usual surroundings and occupations to a place of solitude for meditation, self-examination, and prayer, both spiritually and temporally, in order to make certain necessary decisions in one's spiritual life and temporal life. Although the practice is older than Christianity itself, the example of Christ's 40 days in the desert makes such retreats part of divine revelation. How about that? To be imitated as far as is possible by his followers. And so Christians heed the call to make an annual retreat. The word retreat means to pull away from or to pull back from, and is associated with military combat. For example, when soldiers in combat pull away from or retreat from the front lines of battle, we say. When making a good retreat, that's exactly what the Christian is doing, right? Uh, he or she is pulling back from the affairs of everyday life and reconnecting with God in a special way in surroundings that are conducive to this end. And so I want our, our Open Line Tuesday live listeners right now to call in and give a witness about a retreat, a spiritual Catholic retreat that they've taken. Where did you take it at? Give us the name of the retreat house. And uh, what was the theme of the retreat? And how you benefited from it? How did it feed your marriage? Maybe it was a married couple's retreat. Maybe it was a singles retreat. Maybe you took it with uh, the person you're engaged to be married to. Maybe it was an, an, an engagement encounter, let's say. Maybe it was Curcio. Maybe it was Teams of Our Lady, all kinds of organizations out there that have annual retreats, or maybe it was just a, a private individual retreat you decided you wanted to take, and you contacted a, a retreat house that does that. According to Father Hardin, the great American Jesuit, who was a renowned retreat master himself, he says, quote, as a form of devotion among all classes of the faithful, 
retreats were introduced with the Counter-Reformation led by St. Ignatius of Loyola and followed by St. Francis de Sales and St. Vincent de Paul. In reference to the church's canon law, Father Hardin also notes that retreats for a specified number of days are required annually of all priests and religious. Worth noting too, Jack, is that Pope Pius XI in his apostolic constitution declaring St. Ignatius of Loyola patron of all spiritual exercises from 1922 wrote these words, quote, We desire that retreat houses where persons withdraw for a month or for eight days or for fewer to put themselves into training for the perfect Christian life may come into being and flourish everywhere more numerously. So it is then that many religious orders own staff, uh, they, they own staff and operate retreat houses and retreat centers, as do some dioceses and Catholic lay-based organizations. All of these will offer calendars of specifically themed retreats, for example, for individuals, for married couples, for father sons, for mother daughters, Ignatian, etc. And will also give the name and credentials of the retreat master giving the retreat. One final note, while a, re, while a registration fee is often required for a spiritual retreat, it is usually a reasonable one given the costs associated with hosting a group of persons uh, at the retreat center itself, such as ex, uh, expenses associated with food, utilities, uh, beautiful groundskeeping, general staffing, etc. So do some research and check out what Catholic retreat houses exist in your diocese or beyond, in the surrounding area. Make sure they're reputable for their faithfulness to the teaching of the church. That's crucial there. Make sure they're reputable for their faithfulness to the teachings of the church, and then invest in your spiritual life and make a spiritual retreat at least annually. Again, regardless of your vocation or state in life. So give us a call, Open Line Tuesday listeners, today live, uh, w- uh, watching on YouTube's uh, live feed or our Facebook live feed, or just listening online, uh, maybe in the radio, maybe on Sirius, F- uh, Sirius Radio or on your FM or AM channel there with your EWTN uh, radio dial. Call in and, and give us uh, a witness about a retreat that uh, really helped you Uh, how it fed you, where did you take it? Was it owned by a religious order? Was it owned by a diocese or what? And uh, in fact, this coming January, Jack, uh, the week of the 20th, 21st, and 22nd of January 2023, I will be giving a retreat for laity uh, at the Immaculate Heart of Mary Retreat House uh, there in Spokane, Washington, or Spokane, Washington, uh, which is the airport, incidentally, that you use if you want to join the men this coming weekend, October 14th, 15th, and 16th in Cordialine. You would use the Spokane uh, Airport as well. So uh, again, give us a call. Give us a witness about your your retreat that you took and how it fed you, how it fed your marriage, how it fed your singlehood, how it fed your priesthood, how it fed your religious life. Give a witness about the retreat you've taken at least annually. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. 
Our featured gift uh, from EWTN's Religious Catalog today is a wonderful book, 40 Gifts of Hope, Encouragement During Times of Sickness and Suffering by Paula Umana. Paula shares her inspiring journey of her own story of survival as a quadriplegic victim. Also throughout the book are other inspiring stories, including those who are experiencing a multitude of illnesses, both physical, emotional, and mental. Each person shares their journey from victim to victor and their thoughts on how you can do the same. It's available at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. Free standard shipping on online orders of $75 or more. Must be within the continental U.S. only. And use the code FREE at checkout. That's 40 Gifts of Hope, Encouragement During Times of Sickness and Suffering by Paula Umana. Uh, Available at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. And Father Wade, we're talking about the importance of making spiritual retreats. You know, I was part of a charismatic evangelical campus ministry back in the day, Mm. and uh, they were very big on words and speaking things into existence by your witness. And uh, like, for instance, uh, the word kid was no Bad, bad word. Not couldn't use the word kid because that's a uh, goat, and goats are very rebellious. So if you call your children kids, you're speaking rebellion over your children. I agree that I agree that goats are rebellious. <laughs> they are an interesting animal, especially if they have horns. We'll just leave it yeah, there. Okay? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, one of the things they didn't like is they didn't like the word retreat. They're like, we're not retreating. We're advancing. Well, that's a good point, too. But, you know, you can also retreat because you've won the battle. Yeah, well, there you go. You know. We know how it ends in the end, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. But, no, I I can appreciate that. We are advancing. In fact, I would say that a spiritual retreat precisely helps you to advance because uh, you become a better husband and father. You become a a better priest. You become a better consecrated religious, contemplative, or active, uh, regardless uh, of, of whether you see it as a retreat or advancement of pulling back or moving forward. But pulling back for the weekend from your everyday grind, if, if I can use that phrase, I don't mean to make that sound negative, but I mean the, the, the regularity of your daily vocation and state in life, that's what I mean by grind. By retreating, pulling back from that, it enables you to advance more deeply into that vocation and state in life and become only better uh, at what you're called to be and, and become that best version of self. A retreat can only help one become a, a, be, a better version of self. And again, I'm talking retreats here that are faithful to the magisterial teachings of the church, uh, the wisdom of the saints. You know, St. Teresa of Avila, in her reform of the Carmelites in the 16th century, um, she realized that many of the convents of women that she was helping to reform, the Carmelite convents of women, they were not being faithful to their annual retreat. And so that's one of the things she started mandating that they do. And uh, it tells you right there, and, she, and she's a, a great reformer, a, a great mystic in the church. In fact, when I quoted her earlier in our springboard topic, it was precisely from her, um, her, her life, which is one of her greatest works, along with her way of perfection, where she also mentions therein uh, the importance of a retreat. But, <clears throat> but um, you know, it doesn't have to be a Catholic-owned retreat center. Uh, for example, get this, uh, where the men are meeting uh, in... Um, in, in Coeur d'Alene. Did I say it right that time, Jack? You, you did. Okay, great. 
I try, I try <laughs> thank to, you for thank you for I, the fraternal correction during well, the break. And I, by and, the I, way. and I tried to make it private, as you always say, but you <laughs> you took it on the air, not me. <laughs> yeah, and that's fine because I I don't want the locals to call me and be mad that I mispronounced their beautiful uh, city's name wrong. And by but, and by the way, there is like a spiritual revival going on up in that part of the. I know a a. Uh, 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 an acquaintance of mine who would be recognized by many of our listeners, if I were to use his name, has moved his whole family there because the spiritual life is so on fire in Coeur d'Alene. Wonderful, wonderful. Are you, are you talking about within Catholic circles especially? Um, I'm talking about, yeah, yes, yes, okay. Catholic circles, yes. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. But uh, it's a non-denominational retreat center where the men are gathering this coming weekend called Luther Haven Retreat Center. And so don't let the name scare you, Luther Haven, uh, but uh, <laughs> where it's it, if you go online and look at it, it's just a beautiful, beautiful mountainous uh, setting and lake setting. So I'm looking forward to that. I, I was telling a couple of my relatives here in texts uh, yesterday and even earlier today, that uh, it's almost going to be like a little bit of a retreat for me, mm-hmm. and so I'm looking forward to it very much. I just pray that my flights all connect and, and that everything's on time. So, <laughs> but maybe you're one of the men going to the retreat this coming weekend there in Idaho. Give us a call. Tell us what you're looking forward about it and uh, meeting Dr. Ray and hearing his talks, and uh, or also maybe maybe you've gone in the past. This is an annual gathering for the men there. Uh, maybe maybe you've gone in the past. How did you benefit from that retreat when you took it? Remember, we have men signed up so far from Washington, Idaho, Montana, Oregon, and even Canada, our northern neighbors. Again, some drive from six to eight hours away. Uh, and so uh, maybe you're thinking about going. Get online, see what you can find in a good uh, in a good price for a, a, a flight to. Uh, Spokane, Washington, to get you over to Coeur d'Alene, and uh, s- join us for the retreat this weekend. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-3986. I've got an email here from Vicki, Father. We'll see if you can help her out. Okay. She says, Dear Father Wade, I heard a portion of a prior open line episode where you were speaking of personal disposition. I believe I understood you to teach that we are born with a certain disposition and that there are ways to recognize our own disposition and how to appropriately grow in faith through this understanding. I've been unsuccessful in finding resources about this. Could you please either correct me or point me to some appropriate resources? Absolutely. I think what what this person might be referring to, Jack, is the temperaments the four primary temperaments and the disposition that that they cater to uh, in the person's personality and the living out of their life and so forth. Um, So St. Thomas Aquinas teaches that there's four primary temperaments, the the choleric or choleric, pronounced both ways, the phlegmatic, uh, the sanguine, and the melancholic. And uh, I have a a few uh, titles here that would be great to learn more about um, the the, the, the four primary temperaments, and they're by Art and Lorraine Bennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T, Art and Lorraine, L-A-R-A-I-N-E. Uh, it's titled, The Temperament God Gave You. And then uh, one that came out a few years after they did that, which was quite successful, and these are all available from EWTNRC.com. Um, after they did The Temperament God Gave You, they put one out a few years later titled, The Temperament God Gave Your Spouse. How about that? 
Huh? Isn't that great? Because spouses, let's say a choleric uh, marries a melancholic. Uh, you know, you, you got to understand the temperaments of, of each one toward the other, and that's important. And then after that one came out, Jack, are you ready for this? They put out a book, Art and Lorraine Bennett put out a book titled The Temperament God Gave Your Kids. How about that? <laughs> that's a great one there. So The Temperament God Gave You the temperament God gave your spouse, and the temperament God gave your kids. So three great texts there by Art and Lorraine Bennett. And uh, to find out more about that, just go to EW, those texts, go to EWTNRC.com, and you can read the little synopses on each one of those there at the EWTNRC.com website. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Wide open phone lines and plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. What do we talk about on Tuesdays on EWTN's open line, Father Wade? Faith, family, and fellowship. Michael, Michael writes in, Father Wade, can you please define fellowship? Is it simply coffee and donuts after Mass and various <laughs> parish programs like a Bible study, or is fellowship something more than that? Fellowship is the epitome of being other-centered, of going outside self, uh, even in a sacrificial way, even in a way of, of, of passio, of, of passion, willing to suffer for the other even. That would be probably its, its uh, most profound aspect in what we mean by fellowship. We want to bring others to the beauty of our one holy Catholic and apostolic faith and show them the joy that we have in living the active sacramental life, huh? The, the three sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist, the two sacraments of healing, uh, the anointing of the sick, and confession, which both say something together or collectively about the body-soul compositeness of the human person. And then the two sacraments of vocation, right, uh, which would be matrimony and holy orders. Living this active sacramental life um, in an other-centered way, sharing and showing with others how we benefit from living a grace-filled life of God's sanctifying grace, which comes primary, primarily through the seven sacraments. And again, uh, an, an event like an annual spiritual retreat can help boost these realities that our baptism and confirmation call us to believe and live um, uh, very profoundly. And, and fellowship helps us then come back and live more effectively our call in the modern world. Uh, again, even even the contemplative. You know, I'm always I'm always um, in awe with Mother Angelica's poor Claire nuns in Hansville who have a, a cloistered contemplative vocation, and yet they're able to give witness in the parlor behind the grill when they meet with somebody, and you know, letting somebody know they're going to be praying for them. Uh, so so even the the cloistered communities have a benefit here of being other centered, of sharing their fellowship. Of their of their life, and and maybe they're not meeting with somebody in the parlor, but just at the morning mass. Jack, you've been to mass in the upper temple there in Hansville uh-huh. when the, the nuns are off to the side in their own choir. Oh, cho- yeah. It's called the choir chapel behind the, the the beautiful brass grill, and and all of us are sitting in the main the main body of the temple, the, what we call the temple affectionately, the upper church. Even hearing the nuns sing during the mass, they're giving witness. They're giving a type of fellowship, of of leading others more deeply into the liturgical realities that are that are that are 
laid out before us during the celebration of the Holy, Most Holy Eucharist, a Greek word meaning thanksgiving. The highest form of giving thanksgiving to God is precisely the celebration of the Most Holy Eucharist. And so that, that's important. Uh, so my point being that anybody, regardless of their vocation or state in life, um, they can give that fellowship of leading others to the beauty of our Catholic faith uh, and the fullness of the truth. So by fellowship, I mean something merely beyond just friendly association or especially saying sharing things with people who shares one's interests. No, I, I mean beyond sociability. I mean beyond fraternity or comradeship. I mean uh, beyond those, those basic meanings of fellowship. I'm talking about an other-centeredness and all those things that I just said, but has the purpose of leading one to the fullness of truth. That, that's what I'm getting at, uh, uh, and so forth. And that's what the church means when she talks about faith, family, and fellowship, something we do every Tuesday here on Open Line Tuesday. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Wide open phone lines for you at 833 833- 288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. A big shout out to some of our friends that are a little south of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. If you're listening in the Boise or Twin Falls, Idaho areas, your Catholic radio station needs to hear from you starting tomorrow. Salt and Light Radio's Fall Pledge Drive starts tomorrow and runs through Friday. Go to saltandlightradio.com for all the details. And wherever you are, be sure to support your local EWTN Catholic radio station. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Still a couple of open phone lines for you at 833-288-3986. And Father Wade, uh, Fred is in Pennsylvania, and he says he had two brothers and one sister that were stillborn and therefore not baptized. He wants to know if there's any value to praying for the repose of their souls, a rosary or even a mass being said for them. Absolutely. We, we pray for the dead and leave the aspect of mercy to God, huh? So there's nothing to be lost from having a Mass said for deceased loved ones, for offering suffrages, prayers, rosaries, chaplet of divine mercies, uh, your daily duty, your faithfulness to daily duty. We forget that, that faithfulness to daily duty can be offered up as a prayer, huh? Don't make prayer your work, make work your prayer. How about that? Uh, you can offer your daily duties up for, for the blessed repose of, of a loved one. But there is something special about prayer to God directly and offering the, the Mass, offering uh, the Rosary, the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, etc. So that's very important, too. Um, and, and there's nothing to be lost. Uh, the, many of the saints have written that if, if, the, if they're already in heaven and the prayers are not, they, they, they thus do not need the prayers, um, then God applies your suffrages to a soul that does need them. Uh, I try to remember frequently, especially at my parish missions, I say this aloud, to pray for the most forgotten soul in purgatory who has no one else to pray for them. So when you pray for your deceased loved ones, you might be able to add something like this, and, and Almighty Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, O Blessed Trinity, Eternal and Triune God, if, if these prayers are not needed for my deceased loved one, I ask you to apply them for those souls in purgatory who most need them, especially those who have no one to pray for them, no one to sacrifice for them. So absolutely, uh, great question. Thank you so much. 
833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We head to Palm Bay, Florida. Yolanda is a first-time caller listening on Divine Mercy Radio. Yolanda, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I was um, calling because I've been away from the church for a very long time. And um, lately I've been called to um, go to confession. And um, I'm used to going to confession in Spain, and it's totally different than here. Here it seems to be only um, one hour on Saturdays, and everybody jumps up really quick, and I don't know how to get in the line. (laughs) Does that make sense? Like, is, is it like that all over? Well, Yolanda, it sounds like you're at a parish where confession is very popular. You know, I'm often asked, Father Wade, what do you think is the holier parish? The parish with the longer Holy Communion lines during Mass or the parish with the longer confessional lines before Mass? It's a great question. It's a great rhetorical question. I think the answer really, truly is both, because uh, being fed by the Eucharist is 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 the source and summit of the entire Christian life. But at the same time, those in the confession line uh, are telling me as a confessor, as a priest, as a moralist, and even as a, as a, as a practicing Catholic, whether I was a priest or not, these people have good self-knowledge. They understand the reality of sin and how sin can uh, be a, a, a serious negative in a person's life, either venially or mortally. And so what a beautiful question you're asking, Yolanda, about confession and about getting back to church. First of all, you always have the right to make a private appointment for confession. If the confessional times that are posted in the parish bulletin do not work for you, for example. And in making an appointment for confession, you also have the right to ensure that that appointment for confession still be anonymous as well, where the priest could meet you at a certain time in the confessional, in the church, uh, at a certain time where you still have the choice to go anonymously, or maybe you choose to go face-to-face. That's fine, too. My point being is is that if you find the times that are posted in the bulletin for the public confession times difficult, either because there's too many people or because it's just a time that doesn't work for you, for example, given your work schedule, you always have the right to uh, call the parish and make a private uh, appointment for confession, whether face-to-face or anonymously. One thing I, I could like I would like to recommend to you is let's say your confessions are at three fifteen uh, until four fifteen on Saturday afternoon before the four thirty vigil mass for Sunday. Uh, try to get there a half hour early. Try to get there at least twenty minutes early, say five minutes to three, so that when the confessions begin at three fifteen, you're already there and, and you're at the near of the line there, seated in the pew where the line begins. That's something you can do, and it'll afford you time. That twenty minutes to half hour, it'll afford you time to make it an extra good examination of your conscience, Yolanda, especially if you've been separated from the sacrament of confession for a long time, which is what you intimated in your initial questioning. You don't say if you've been separated from uh, celebrating Mass for a long time, just confession. So uh, it's important to make an annual confession. It's one of the five precept laws of the Church, huh? And why do we have the five precept laws? We have the five precept laws because when they're all practiced, all five of them, they automatically ensure at least a minimal practice of the Catholic faith. And Holy Mother Church being just that, a good and holy mother, the Bride of Christ, which he founded and which we know by her four marks, one holy Catholic and apostolic, um, being just that, a good mother, she wants to ensure that her children practice the faith at least minimally. 
uh, a bare minimum, if you will, as any natural physical mother would want to see her children practice the faith at least minimally. So that's why we have the five precept laws. And, and again, one of the five is you shall confess your sins at least once a year. So if you've been gone from confession for over a year, that's one of the things you'll want to confess, Yolanda, is simply say, Father, I've missed my annual confession duty for about such and such many years. And Father, that has affected my annual communion duty uh, to receive Holy Communion faithfully, at least during the Easter season in a state of grace worthily. So, you know, one leads to the other. That's a second uh, of the five precept laws is I will receive communion, the sacrament of the Eucharist, at least once a year during the Easter season. Uh, The other three is that you shall attend Mass on Sundays and on Holy Days of Obligation and rest from unnecessary servile labor. You shall observe the days of fasting and abstinence as established by the laws of the church. And fifthly and lastly, you shall help to provide, to to your ability to do so, you shall help to provide for the needs of the church. And and for example, thus uh, giving, uh, tithing appropriately uh, to the ability that you're able to. Uh, or to another Catholic organization, but definitely to some in some form to your church where you worship at, uh, because uh, of what's involved there with with keeping the lights on, so to speak, uh, and there's there's expenses involved there. So, uh, Yolanda, I'd like to recommend that you go to FathersOfMercy.com, my community, FathersOfMercy.com, and there at the homepage, click on the magnifying glass uh, icon, and on the search bar, just type "examination of conscience," and the wonderful Fathers of Mercy examination of conscience comes up, and you don't even have to go that far. Uh, Just go to fathersofmercy.com, and the homepage comes up, and when you scroll down a little bit for the homepage, you'll see a direct link to click on at the homepage, but you're going to have to scroll down a little bit. At the homepage, the direct link to click on for the English examination of conscience and or for the Spanish examination of conscience, and it comes up as as a PDF file ready to print out on your home printer. Uh, and, and just take out 10 or 12 minutes to read that examination of conscience. One complete side is the examination of conscience side with a series of questions that do what? They comb through the Ten Commandments. Uh, j- just a real good, solid way of combing through the Ten Commandments in 2022. And then that fourth panel on that side, Yolanda, on the far right on that side where the series of questions are that comb through the Ten Commandments, is a little primer of how to go to confession. If it's been a while, as you intimate it has been, Yolanda, uh, it'll be good for you to read that little primer of how to go to confession uh, from the time you walk in the confessional proper to the time you exit it, and the different responses to the priest and so forth. So you're going to want to look at that. And then the other complete side of the examination of conscience, Yolanda, are the major tenets of Catholic Christian doctrine, uh, right out of the universal catechism of the Catholic Church, right? So it's, it, it's like having a little catechism right there in the palm of your hand. Uh, I'll hold it up for you right now. I don't know if you're watching on YouTube or not, but I'm holding it up right now. Uh, the examination of conscience uh, uh, and Catholic doctrine brochure put out by the Fathers of Mercy, my community. The blue ink there with the Fathers of Mercy logo is the English, and here's the Spanish with the green ink logo uh, is in the Spanish. So there you have them both right there, ready to print off. The direct links are there towards the bottom of the homepage at fathersofmercy.com. One complete side, examination of conscience. The other complete side, the major tenets of Catholic doctrine right out of the Universal Catechism. And look look how I'm holding it right now. It's like having a little catechism right there in the palm of your hand, right? It's like having a little catechism right there. So Uh, But, you know, confession itself, Yolanda, I want to end with this, you know, 10 ways that confession sets us free, uh, by healing, by freedom from slavery, uh, by moving from confusion to peace, uh, 
by giving us freedom from a conscience filled with guilt, uh, by joy, giving us joy, rejoicing in the Lord, uh, by benefiting from the paschal mystery of our Lord Jesus Christ, his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension, which precisely uh, forgives us of our sins, that, that act, that for-event event. huh? A confession also acts as a curative and preventative medicine from future further falls into sin, whether venial or mortal. That's very important. How about this? By serving as an act of humility to crush your pride, and to grow in self-knowledge is, a, is another reason why we want to go to regular confession. Fostering growth in self-knowledge. How, how does it do that? Well, combing through an examination of conscience, through a series of questions that comb through the Ten Commandments. Did I do this? Did I do that? Did I do this? Did I do that? Talk about growing in self-knowledge. The, the very act of making a good examination of conscience before walking into the confessional, and again, this is only a, you know, a, a ten-minute exercise before you walk into the confessional, um, is, is an act of growing in self-knowledge because you're questioning yourself about different areas of your life that deal and pertain directly with the Ten Commandments. Uh, and then also by fostering a fervent and more efficacious Holy Communion, huh? That's important too. Uh, so these are just some of the ways that confession benefits us. And then Pope Pius XII and, and now Pope St. Pius, uh, Paul VI, Paul VI, now saint, and Pius XII both say that confession also uh, helps us with purifying the conscience, increasing grace, strengthening our will by increasing self-knowledge, by helping us experience a more rapid growth in virtue, growing in humility, by assisting in overcoming bad habits in our life, uh, by overcoming a spirit of mediocrity or lukewarmness, and by achieving a greater self-control in our daily life, right? So that's important, too. So uh, whether you make a, a, a personal appointment with the priest in your parish or one of his associate pastors, Yolanda, uh, to, to go to confession, or whether you get to the regular published uh, confession time in the parish bulletin 20 minutes to a half hour earlier and have some quiet time to read that examination of conscience and be one of the first ones in line, I really, really want to urge you to get back to confession, and I'm going to offer my evening prayer this evening and my Compline, the night prayer of the church, for you, Yolanda, that you will indeed return to this beautiful, beautiful sacrament of mercy. Our Lord calls it the sacrament of mercy to St. Faustina several times, which she records in her diary. So uh, did that help you out, Yolanda, on, on, on how reconcil- reconciliation can help us and how, what you can do to help ensure that you can go? Yes. What a brilliant, fantastic comprehensive answer. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to go. Well, praise God. Praise God again. Amen. Well, I hope that fire stays lit under you, and I mean that sincerely. And uh, again, my my Compline and my uh, Vespers will be offered for you this evening. And go to fathersofmercy.com and print off that PDF document of of the Fathers of Mercy Examination of Conscience for Adults and Teens. God bless you. Next up is Linda, another first-time caller in the great state of Rhode Island, listening on the EWTN app. Linda, you're on with Father Wade. Hello, Father Wade. How are you? I'm doing great, Linda. Thank you so much. I'm hoping you can help me with an answer on this. My dad passed away this March. Um, It's been maybe six to seven months now that he's been gone, and... um, I want to help my mom. I want to give her some comfort. She has been beating herself up because she had my father cremated. And um, it was his wishes. He had put down that that is what he wanted. 
And now, after the fact, she keeps questioning it and saying to herself, I should have buried him. I shouldn't have cremated him because I won't be able to see him again when my time comes. And I keep reassuring her that she will see my dad. And I am hoping that you can give me an answer or some kind of words that I could say to her to help her, to make her feel more at peace. Certainly, Linda. What a great series of questions to help your mom out. And I, th- I want to thank you for wanting to help your mom out and giving her peace about this situation. First of all, to catechize others who may be listening, Linda, I want to make it clear that, number one, the Church does permit cremation. That's something you want to tell your mom. However, the ashes do need to be interred, either in a columbarium above ground or in a grave under the ground, and some cemeteries even permit the urn with ashes, the cremated ashen, the ashen remains in an urn, to be buried on top of an existing grave that is six to seven feet below earth. The urn is usually four and a half to five and a half feet below earth, so it ends up being about two feet above the coffin, the full-body coffin. So my point here is that the Church does permit cremation, however, the, the ashen urn, according to Catholic teaching, does need to be buried. Uh, interred somewhere, either above ground or, or below ground. It sounds like, and, and simple yes or no, your father's ashes were were uh, strewn or spread. Is, is that correct? They were not buried. Is that correct? No, my dad's ashes were buried. We had a Catholic mass for. Oh, beautiful! He, he well, was even if buried, it, yes, he was buried. Beautiful. So, you, first of all, that's the second. So, number one, to let your mom know the church permits cremation. Number two. Um, your your mother did it correctly in that the ashes were interred. Number three, uh, the Church teaches that even if ashes were strewn, if, if they were spread, we still believe fully what the Church teaches about the reunification of the body and soul at the second coming of Christ. So you want to tell your mom that, Mom, the teaching of the Church surpasses any feelings, emotions, or passions you might have about this topic. Uh, the Church teaches that, we that yes, we must bury the ashes, which you did for Dad, so you should have comfort from there. Number two, the Church permits cremation, Mom, so you should have comfort from there. And the Church teaches that even if the, even if the ashes were strewn or spread, as the phrase is, which we don't do in the Catholic Church— we believe in the Catholic Church that 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 God's power is is just that it's it's more power than anything earthen, and so the the bodies will be reunited with their souls uh, to their greater glory in heaven or to their damnation in hell, and so uh, that will happen. So your mom, you know, your mom doesn't. Now this is more for your benefit, uh, Linda, not so much for sharing this with your mom. Although maybe you could share this in her in your own way with her. We don't want to be supra ecclesia above the Church, and put our own belief system, in this case about cremated loved ones, we don't want to put our own belief system and what our passions and emotions may be, found, may be telling us uh, above the Church's teaching. No, don't do that. You don't want to be above the Church. You don't want to be super-ecclesia. Nor do you want to be sub-ecclesia, self-loathing. And, and your mom's kind of having a self-loathing reaction. Oh, I should have never have cremated him. Even though he wanted that, I should have never have done it. I'm having doubt now. She's kind of being self-loathing 
towards your dad's spirit. You don't want her to be self-loathing. You want her to be joyful and to look forward to the resurrection, right? Uh, so we don't want to be super ecclesia above the church, nor do we want to be sub ecclesia under the church in a self-loathing way. Super ecclesia above the church would be in a prideful way. We don't want to be either of those. We want to be cum ecclesia. We want to be with the church. And your mom can be with the church by understanding the church's teaching on whether it's a full-body burial or a cremated burial, how the soul and body are indeed reunited at the second coming of Christ, and she will have knowledge of that at her own uh, second co- at at her own uh, resurrection at the second coming of Christ. So from the from the particular at the time of the particular judgment when we die until the second coming of Christ, the body and souls are separated. And one thing I'd like you to do is is go online, Linda, and and look up my book, The Four Last Things: A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell, where I talk about all this. Uh, what we can expect at the particular judgment, what we can expect at the general judgment, what happens when our loved ones die and we're still living, uh, how we, we can strive to live eternity-minded, right? I'm going to grab the book right now off the shelf so I can hold it up to the screen here in our YouTube and Facebook live feeds. Right here, uh, Linda, I'm holding it up right now, and if, if you're just listening to an audio podcast right now live, you can go back and pull it up on YouTube and watch the show this hour. But I'm holding it up right now. Uh, uh, the Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell. Uh, it's a quick read. It's only five pages. It's only a, it does, oh, five chapters, excuse me. It's only 100 pages. Uh, get this for your mom. You know, Jack's wife, uh, Johnette Williams, uh, did a beautiful endorsement for it, and she says, this book filled me with joy is what's actually written in the book at, with Johnette's in, in, endorsement. This book actually filled me with joy of what is to come. And that's what I want to fill your mom with, is that joy. And not to be above the church, not to be below the church, but to be with the church as a true daughter of Christ, just like a great Catherine of Siena or a great St. Therese or a great Teresa of Avila or a great uh, Edith Stein, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross. That's how I want your mom to be as a faithful daughter of the church, to believe in what the church teaches and the beauty of the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell, three of which will apply to each one of us personally, death, judgment, heaven, or hell. Uh, But I'm so glad to hear that your mom followed everything beautifully and not only honoring your dad's wishes, but also in uh, having him uh, properly interred. Was your dad interred in the earth above an existing full-body grave, or was your dad interred in a columbarium above the ground? No, he was actually um, interred in the ground. It was um, a stone plot that had actually been um, there for years. My grandparents are already there. And um, my dad was actually put there, and my mom will be going there in that same area, that same plot. Beautiful. You know, I'm so happy that more and more cemeteries now are putting the urn in the ground uh, uh, above existing full-body graves. I just think it's a great thing that it doesn't have to be reserved only to a columbarium, the urn with the ashes. It doesn't have to only be interred above ground in a columbarium, although I've seen some beautiful columbariums on parish grounds. So there's no cemetery for full-body burials on the parish grounds, but some parish grounds are putting in beautiful columbariums above ground with beautiful marble and whatnot. A great way to uh, remember the dead, to be able to visit their graves during the month of November, on their baptismal day, on their birthday, and on their death day. Uh, Just a beautiful way to remember the dead. And November's coming up, so remember that. So again, the four last things, a catechetical guide to death, judgment, heaven, and hell. May it bring your mom joy. 
uh, when you shared this text with her. Maybe you can give it to her for her Advent reading. Again, it's a quick read. Advent's about four and a half weeks long. It's only five short chapters, 100 pages total, and uh, maybe you could get it for her for her Advent reading. It would be a great uh, catechetical guide during the beautiful time of Advent, Linda, when we focus on both the, the first and second comings of Christ and thus focus on also our particular judgment when we die. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Father Maria called in from the great state of Missouri, and she was a little too upset to come on the air, but she says that her husband says that she shouldn't pray the rosary, and she should go only to Jesus, and she wants to know how to explain to him the truth. When we pray the rosary, we are going straight to Jesus. We're focusing on all scenes in sacred scripture, huh? the joyful mysteries, the luminous mysteries, which focus specifically on Christ's three years of public life, right? Uh, and then the, the sorrowful mysteries, and then the glorious mysteries. Uh, even the last two glorious mysteries, Mary's assumption into heaven and her coronation, as St. Paul says, uh, we too will one day achieve the crown, those of us who remain faithful. And Mary goes before us to show us the way as the mother of God. So all 20 mysteries uh, focus on the life of Christ uh, and on the gifts that are given to us who remain faithful to him, with the luminous mysteries specifically focusing on the three years of Christ's public life, which tells us something about mission. So I would say, you know, to, to her husband, you know, the joyful mysteries focus help us to focus on the joys in our own family life, right? Because all five joyful mysteries uh, focus on the Holy Family of Nazareth, right? And, and, and the trials and tribulations they went through, but focusing on the joy. Uh, then the luminous mysteries tell us how we should live out our own mission by looking at Christ's mission for three years in his public life. The sorrowful mysteries uh, in Christ's life, uh, beginning with the agony in the garden and culminating with his crucifixion, tell us how to not only deal with the sorrows, trials, and tribulations that come our own way, but how to focus on our own death and, and have how death is a reality for each and every one of us and how to want to live eternity-minded and to die in a state of grace with no known mortal sin that's purposely unrepentant on our soul. We do not want to die with purposeful, unrepentant mortal sin, right? And then um, the, joy, the glorious mysteries focus on the Paschal mystery, again, that four-event event of Christ's uh, passion, death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, and also the coronation and the uh, uh, assumption of Mary, which are uh, gifts that will be given, up, given to us in our own way at our own uh, time of the general judgment when our particular judgment is ratified at the end of time and going to our eternal reward or to our eternal reprobation, but we want to go to heaven. And so the glorious mysteries, especially Christ's resurrection, his ascension, the descent of the Holy Spirit upon Mary and the apostles, she was present there with the apostles in the upper room, and then also uh, her own assumption and coronation. Again, St. Paul, we all await the crown that is given to those who are faithful. So it's the life of the rosary does tell us about the life of Christ directly. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners this day and always, and remain with each and one, each and every one of you this day and always, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener, Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch on Open Line Wednesday. Until then, God bless.